It's good to be with you this morning in our worship time and talk about a few ministry moments I'd like to share with you. Um, one is I would like to thank uh, Ellender for the beautiful uh, bulletin and particularly the uh, calendar that we now have. Make sure you take this home and stick it somewhere so you can find out what's going on. We also do have an updated calendar on the website, but here's one we can look at and utilize. In my house, if you were to stick it in the most important place, you'd put it on the front of the refrigerator, right? So I want to thank her for that. She's doing an excellent job. Um, most of you know that Laura went to work at First Baptist Church of uh, Kearney, and Ellender is filling in, and we appreciate her very much. Um, kind of January the 1st came and went, and I didn't check and didn't make note that we had a Lottie Moon goal for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for 2020. I believe it was about $3,500. And as of January the 3rd, the bulletin showed that we went over that goal, uh, 37,000, I mean, not 37,000, I'm sorry, 3,700. $13.22. And I don't know if anything else has come in since then, but that is a praise. And we wanted to thank the Lord because giving to missions helps put our uh, missionaries on the field when many denominations and churches are not doing that. As a matter of fact, Daniel Watson, who preached for me those Sundays in January, is a International Mission Board missionary and they're waiting until their country opens back up because of COVID. They can't get back into the country, but they're waiting for him uh, and their country to open up and for this family to be able to go back and, and be missionaries. So, you know, if you know Daniel Watson and if you've heard him speak, he's our personal um, missionary in a way. And please be mindful to pray for him. And thank you for your contributions uh, to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. That's a very special thing. I'd like for you to turn with me now to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're going to take a look at a couple of verses in this psalm. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in all of the psalms, and uh, it's made up in a way, we call it an acrostic, psalm because all of the first eight verses begin with like a the first in hebrew the olive and the second eight begin with b or bait the second letter in the alphabet and then on down through the rest of the psalm it goes through every letter of the alphabet and gives us a, a handy way to memorize these the second thing about Psalm 119, it's a glorious praise to God for his revelation in his word, being that kind of a God who is willing to reveal himself and to be, and to be in a personal relationship with us. This particular psalm celebrates all the different ways that God speaks to us and gives us guidance and direction uh, in his word and in his, um, his, his Bible, the Word of God to us, and this celebrates that. We're going to read verses 9 through 16 and then focus primarily on uh, verse 11 uh, for this morning's uh, sermon. 
So follow along as I read Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And may God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the opportunity to study it. We thank you that you reveal yourself through it. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we learn how to be faithful disciples. Guide us as we study this scripture today. And as we think about how we might apply it in our lives so that we can be faithful witnesses and disciples of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the world might know the truth and then finding Christ, find hope in him. We ask, Lord, that you will guide all of our church members who are here in worship and those who are home and others who are watching us and help us to reach out to them that they might be blessed and to be able to give you praise and glory to exalt Jesus Christ and make application of the scripture today. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I didn't know that I'd be out of the pulpit for a while when I started the series on the essential church. And we were only able to talk about the essential church um, having um, depth and relevance and, make, and, and being explaining that it's relevant, that the church that grows, the church that continues to bless and, and encourage its members and those members who stay, don't drop out, um, are blessed because the church is relevant, because we try to say, hey, this isn't just a body of stuff over here that you memorize and you do the ritual that makes God in heaven happy. We really are showing how the church worship, the church growth, the church study, the church relationships really are relevant to our world and relevant to the needs of people, our own needs and the needs of others. And so we gravitate to church because we know in our worship, in our growing together as a body of believers in Jesus Christ, there is indeed the answer of how to live and how to meet life, how to grow in the relationship that we have with God, how to seek him and how he helps us face whatever life may throw at us, whatever may happen to us, knowing God as worshipers, as being part of a church, and that church sharing the understanding of how relevant church is helps us to grow. But Tom Rayner and his son Sam wrote a book called The Essential Church, and I picked this up from them, and they said not only is the church relevant, but the church also is deep. And so the church has to deepen itself. People who figure that a church is valuable and it has it. Greg Groeschel used to, he wrote a book called It. A church has it. What is it? It is that kind of 
experience and relationship that each one has with each other and with God. And that's the kind of church that you want to be part of because it is deepening your life. When you come here, it's not that you figure it was a waste of time and you had better things to do, but you come here. I mean, it's like deciding to come to church instead of watching the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> a lot of people would not would choose otherwise. But the idea is, is that church is valuable, so you make it a priority in your life because not only is it relevant, but it is deep. And we're going to talk about how it gets to be deep. But not only is it relevant and deep, but also that there is expectation. Expectation of what takes place. And finally, there's service. There, there's, there's a strength that the church has. And that's what churches need to be. They don't want to be irrelevant. And they don't want to be shallow. And they don't want to expect you know, nothing from people. People won't come. And if they don't really make a difference in their life, why do they exist? So the essential church is the church that does all these things to works with the Holy Spirit, with God the Father, to be just that, essential. Not on the periphery, unimportant, but essential, not only to the lives of its church members, but to the people outside the church and to the world, to be the kind of church that presents the gospel and hope for them. Tom Rainer suggested that the church needs to be deep. And the way that it's deep is not by infilling itself with knowledge and uh, various different things that you do, but with the priority of the gospel, we fill ourselves with the knowledge of the word of God. And we study the word of God deeply so that people understand that there is hope. Bible illiteracy is on the upswing. People know about the Bible. It's still the bestseller, but people don't read it. In fact, in 1980, uh, Christianity Today and the Gallup organization took a poll and noticed that 50 million people said that they had a life-changing religious experience, but only 11% of that number even read the Bible every day, 10% read it weekly, 7% read it monthly, and 37 million people never read their Bible. That's kind of amazing because how do we connect with God? Do we go out and wait for the, for, by the pond or the fishing with our fishing reel and, and expect us to, to God all of a sudden to whip up some kind of spiritual wind that, that overshadows us. What the good believer does, what the disciple does, is to search the scriptures to see how to live with God. The content of the Bible is still the best seller, but it's not followed. All we have to do is look around us and see that people are not really taking the Bible at face value, understanding it to be relevant and to be purposeful for our lives. There has to be a sense that we understand that the Bible is what we study, and we study it deeply, and we allow it to be applied to our lives. The Bible may be the most popular book in the world, but it is also the least read 
and the least applied due to a basic lack of understanding. Reading the Bible as a disciple aims to improve the biblical literacy in our culture and the church by uh, imparting readers with the necessary skills to read the Bible well and encouraging the application of Scripture in everyday life. You know, a great change has happened in the last 10, 20 years, and that is that no one or a lot of people don't bother to have a Bible like this. Rather, they have Bible programs on their iPhone and they carry it around, and that's okay. Wherever your scripture is, uh, we need to study it and learn about it and read it and understand what's going on with it. There was a, um, uh, an attempt uh, way back uh, 30 years ago to print the smallest Bible in the world. It was one inch square, one inch square, seven, seven thousand seven, uh, seven, I'm sorry, 773,746 words were printed on the one inch square Bible. It took a microscope of over 100 power just to be able to read it. But you know what? The last thing we need is for the words of the Bible to get smaller. Those words need to stand out large and clear. We need to understand what Bible study means for our personal worship and our personal disciple life as a disciple. But we also understand its value and its application for the church so that the church is essential, where people come to be fed, to deepen their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just perform some act of ritual or pass the time and wait and say, oh, well, some angel in heaven marked me down as being here, but really come to value the time of the worship service as a means of growing closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I, I thought we'd look at Psalm 119, verse 11, and we've talked about three things that this psalm tells us, or the, this verse in Psalm 119 tells us. And the very first thing that it tells us is the focus, I'm sorry, the priority of Bible study. The priority or the focus of Bible study is really indicated in Psalm 119, verse 11, in a few words in, it says, I have treasured your word, or thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, in the old King James translation. The words of God are the focus of Bible study. Really, it's not our interpretation, it's not uh, the way we want to read them, but it really, we must ponder the fact that the Word of God is God's revelation of Himself to us. The history of God with His people, beginning from creation to the end of the world, from Genesis to Revelation. The psalmist here acknowledges that these words are important. They have impact. There's actually a beginning and an end to verse 9 and verse 16. If you look at that, in verse 9 he says, How can a young man keep his way pure? 
And the answer is simple. By guarding, keeping, studying your word. Who is your word? God's word. And then if you look at verse 16, he says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is God's word. The psalmist is celebrating the fact that we have God's word. Think about that. A God who created the heavens and the earth decided to give us his message, his word. He didn't have to, but he did. He gave us his word, and we have it in the scriptures. The Bible tells us that holy men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit to write these words. Paul told Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by God, given to us by God. And the believer wants to learn. Think about how the disciples sat at the feet of Jesus and Jesus spoke to them. Well, Jesus is ascended into heaven. We don't have him here to teach us, but we have the gospels. We have the word of God, the teachings of Jesus recorded in his word. Jesus himself said about the Bible that God's word is truth. And we need to be able to say that. There are people who say, oh, it's one opinion among many. No, for the believer, the word of God is truth. The focus and the priority of Bible study isn't on some new fad of interpretation, some other individual's way of looking at things. It has to be on God's word and what God says to us as we study it, as we ask the Holy Spirit to help us interpret it, understand it, and even more so as we begin to recognize that his word is heavy. Let me use that term, heavy. That's an old hippie meaning, heavy, you know, heavy, man, heavy, right? But in the Bible, heavy also means of value, of importance. And it isn't that God just decided to write a book. Maybe he wrote the book and then the sequel and another, you know, God doesn't sit down to do that. God wrote his word to change us, to guide us, to correct us, to encourage us, to lead us, to lift us up and help us to understand how he loved us so much that he created us. And then when we sinned against him, he redeemed us with Jesus paying the penalty on the cross. There's so much in the Bible that teaches us. Now, I imagine you know that there are some difficult passages and there are some hard passages. And I dare say we study it and study it and study it. We don't always keep it. But the Bible is there to give us the focus of our faith. Therefore, the psalmist in verses 9 through 16, he, he talked about God's word, your word in verses 9 and 11. Verse 10, he called them the commandments. Uh, verse 12, the statutes. Verse 13, the, the ordinances or judgments. Um, Verse 14, the testimonies. Verse 15, precepts. Verse 15, your ways. All these are synonyms and ways of describing God's message to us. And if God gives us this message to us, it must be the priority. It's not man's message to the world, man's opinions, man's ideas, man's way of thinking things should be the way whatever they are, but it's God. And so the, the word of God be, must become a priority. If a church 
doesn't have the Word of God as a priority, it's not essential, in my humble opinion. If a church decides to teach uh, relational theology or cultural theology or any particular fad, you know, interpretive dance down the aisles and whatever, all these fads, now they might be a way of pointing to the Word of God, but if their focus isn't the Word of God, then they are not essential. And the church worship becomes non-essential. Oh, I know, we can turn on the TV and we can get all different numbers of televangelists and they put on massive entertainments for us and we can sit and do that. We can go to big churches and everything is a big entertainment, but if it isn't based on the priority of the Bible study, if it isn't based on making the Word of God a central focus of life, then it's non-essential. And that's sometimes why we get groups that are a mile wide, but an inch deep. Our church needs to be deep in the Word, deep in learning how God is speaking to us. It's great to do all these different activities, but the activities must eventually bring us to the very priority of Bible study, of studying God's Word. Somehow, some way. When I was a youth minister years ago, oh, where Jacob, there he is. When I did this, you know, every, every preacher became a youth minister at the beginning. That was what you had to do. But I would do a thing called ichthus encounter. I don't know if you ever heard, you probably never heard of it. Ichthus is the word fish, and it stood basically in the early church for Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And I would, we'd have games. We used to have a thing called youth specialties, and we'd do nasty things to the kids. You know, we'd, we'd put them under a blanket and then whap them on the head, and they were supposed to tell us who, who, who whapped them and all. And they, it, they loved it. It was crazy. We had one of these hot seats where you actually took um, one of the things out of a car, a, a, not a starter, but a, what do you, whatever you call them, and you hook it up, and if they didn't answer correctly, you zapped them, and they jumped up off the seat, called it the hot seat, and they came. They loved it. But what I told them was that they can have, out of an hour, 45 minutes of clowning around, eating cookies and drinking Kool-Aid or whatever, but I got the last 15 minutes. And the last 15 minutes... I told them about the Word of God. And they sat there and they listened because they had 45 minutes of fun, but they were willing to let me share with them the Word of God. Every purpose of this church needs to be focused on getting the Word of God out to the world. People have the Bible. Some, some places don't have Bibles, I, I admit that. But the Word of God needs to go out. God himself said that he would not send his Word out in vain. And he calls us to tell others. That must be our priority. If we don't have it as our priority, then we risk being non-essential. As a matter of fact, we become non-essential. Number two is the plan of Bible study. The psalmist said in verse 11, he said... I have treasured your word 
in my heart. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew actually starts out by saying, in my heart. In Hebrew, the word in my heart with the preposition in begins with the, the letter B, and so it fits in the acrostic here. And, you know, in my heart, I have treasured your words. The emphasis is a personal, a personal place of learning the Bible, of understanding what the Bible means for us. The King James Version uses the word hide. The uh, NASB and, and the CSB that we have use the word treasure. Um, the re revised version has laid up. What it means isn't that you just read it and then say, oh, okay, and you go on. It really means that it becomes something special. It means to keep a teaching or a thing close to oneself, to store it up, to save it up, to live by it. Jeremiah said one time that he tried to stop preaching the word of God, and, and when he stopped, it became like a burning fire in his heart, and he couldn't stop. The word of God has to be treasured in our hearts. We're not going to give it lip service to the Bible if we treasure it in our hearts. If we make it the most important thing that we have, if it's the most important thing we live by, if we really understand it as a treasure, then we're not just going to give it lip service. It is a treasure. It becomes a treasure in times of pain and joy and sadness. It is a thing we need to go to to make decisions, to look for guidance, especially when we face even trials and persecution. The Word of God is what we put in our hearts that helps us live. I get tickled sometimes. I don't mean the word tickle in a good way, I guess. When certain large mainline churches once a year have what they call Bible Sunday. Well, I thought every Sunday is supposed to be Bible Sunday. It's supposed to be you bring your Bible, you study your Bible. I know you have your iPhones and all those kinds of things and but you need to learn to study it, maybe even underline it. Put something on the margin about when you read it. Think about how it's going to change you. Psalm 1 starts off by talking about how the man, the individual who's blessed doesn't hang around with the wrong crowd. But verse 2, it says his delight, his joy is in the word of God and he meditates on it day and night. That word meditate is translated, is kind of one of those words that's onomatopoetic, you know, and it means to coo like a pigeon. You heard pigeons or doves just coo, coo, coo. That's what we're supposed to do on the Word of God, coo. Think about it, meditate, ponder it. Ask God to teach us through the power of the Holy Spirit, but we're to treasure it. We're not to throw it away. We should not leave it at church so we can get it next Sunday. We should take our own sword of the Lord um, in the armor of God that we put on the Bible. The word of God is the sword. The writer of Hebrews told us that it's sharper than any other two-edged, than any two-edged sword, cutting and making discernment between the bone and the marrow. The word of God is powerful, but we need to treasure it. 
We can't ignore it. We need to study it and to learn it. We need to make sure that we put it in our heart so that it, it works in a life-changing way. We can store a lot of things in our hearts and follow them, or we can store the Word of God. Now, here's, here's what I think. First of all, we have to understand that the word heart in the Hebrew culture meant the mind. You feel emotionally with your guts. So we're not trying to run around and say, oh, this is wonderful, I feel things. Because when I read the scriptures, it's all of me. My mind ponders the scripture and puts it into my life. And then when I have that, when I have that, there's a result. And we're going to talk about the result in just a minute. But what I'm trying to talk about is that maybe if I use the imagery of a computer, we put this data in us and then we're able to get it out because it's the word of God that we study, that we learn. And if we want to be an essential church, we have to treasure the word of God, not treat it in a cavalier way, but ask God to teach us what it means, to think upon the Holy Spirit's ability to show us how to apply it in our lives, to seek guidance from us. You know, I've told you about the time my window fell out of my little Toyota and it took me two or three hours to mess around till I got the instruction book out. And the instruction book told me to do something what I considered to be really stupid, just to take a, a cloth, a handkerchief and pull it apart like this and then put it up under the door handle, literally, and, and just go this way and that way with it, and a clip would come off, and I didn't believe it until I did it. That was the instruction book, and that was the strategy of the maker of the car. The instruction book we have is the Word of God, and His strategy sometimes sounds strange to us in our culture and our time, but it changes things, it works, right? And God blesses us because we learn him and we learn his heart and we learn his love and we learn his encouragement and we learn that he's our strength and our refuge. Well, I tell you what, you should read the Psalms every year for certain. But all of scripture, we should be on a memory plan. We should be studying through Bible study, our personal Bible study, one, two years, just read it through over and over and over. God brings to our hearts and to our minds things that we just didn't think of the first time when we read it again. And in our circumstances in our lives, things change and God has different places. The people of Berea searched the scriptures to see if Jesus was the Messiah. We need to search the scriptures so God can speak to us. Not only have a Bible study group we go to here, but we treasure the word of God in our hearts so that we can use that for his glory and his honor. Well, the last point I want to make is the purpose of Bible study. The psalmist here in verse 11 echoes something that he's going to echo throughout all of Psalm 119. And he does so in verse 9 and says, How can a young person keep his way pure? And the answer is by keeping your word. So in verse 11, he says, I've treasured your word in my heart in order that, so that, and this is such a strong 
uh, preposition here in, in, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew, it's so that in order that I might not miss the mark. He says this, that I might not sin against you, God. The word of God helps us to be faithful. The word of God helps us to overcome temptation. The word of God helps us to heal and be forgiven of our sins as we come to God and Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. And the psalmist says, I've treasured this in my heart for the strict purpose, the reason being so that I might not fall away, that I might not find or follow the wrong way, the wrong path, but I might not sin against thee. That word sin is to miss the mark. And we all miss the mark. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Paul wrote. And we all need to focus our hearts and the purpose of Bible study is to focus our hearts to see what pleases God, what God would have us to do, to honor him, to glorify him, and then to do it. And the psalmist here understands that not only is the priority for us to be Bible study, not only is, are we supposed to treasure it, but we're to understand that it, its purpose is to keep us walking on the narrow path on the path that honors God, the path that helps give glory to God. And when we honor God and when we give glory to God, it's amazing the world gets to see God too. It glorifies him in the world. Now you have to understand that there's this circle that happens. The more we re read the Bible, the more the Holy Spirit convicts us, the more we come to repentance, the more God forgives us, and then we go back and read more of the Bible study. And God sometimes does that. God sometimes takes his time, he's patient, and he works with you, with us in this cycle of growth to make sure that we're learning and we're growing. The Bible study cure, gives us victory. It cures us present sin and also prevents us from future sin. It keeps us pure. It helps us cleanse our way we begin to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior as we begin to struggle and understand Scripture. Peter talked about the pure milk of the Word. A little further on in 1 Peter chapter 2. The pure milk of the Word gives us nourishment and it helps us to grow. The more Bible study, the more the Holy Spirit has to bring it to our mind. Uh, the more we study the Bible, the more the Holy Spirit can help us to have victory over sin and the temptations that easily beset us out in the world. There is a computer term called GIGO, actually G-I-G-O. Have you ever heard of that before? Those early days when we began to get computers together and, and people were beginning to enter data into the computer. Somebody had to enter all the data of the Bible into your iPhone. And GIGO stood for, do you know what it stands for? Garbage in, garbage out. And that's, that's not a bad idea. I mean, if you put junk in, you're going to get junk out. Think about that the next time you turn on the TV, right? Uh, the psalmist said, I will put no unclean thing before my eyes. Um, that was, that's in Psalm 101.3. 
I will put no worthless thing before our eyes. Putting the word of God before our eyes is the greatest of all things because the Bible has worth. But Geigo says if you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. Do you know what you need to put in? I think it should be D, I'm sorry, BWI um, or BWO. Uh, well, that doesn't make, or, I'm sorry, GWI and GWO. God's word in, God's word out. The more you put God's word in, the more the Holy Spirit can help you remember. Notice, and he said here, you, I, I've put your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Who is, these all these personal pronouns here. I, me, you. It reflects a relationship. And the fact is that he's concerned about sinning against God. So the Bible becomes the instruction book to teach us how to walk carefully and how to walk in a way that honors God. One of my good friends told me that every time you preach, you should um, be faithful to the scriptures. You should be faithful. You should preach the word. Paul said that to Timothy. Preach the word in season and out of season. But he said you should also exalt Christ. Well, the Bible exalts Christ. The more we read it, the more we understand what God was doing in his strategy to allow Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. But then he said, make application. And that's exactly the purpose of Bible study, to apply it to our lives so we might not sin against God. The more we study the word of God, the more the Holy Spirit brings us into an understanding of a deeper and more profound and wonderful relationship with God, with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You know, one young lady told me one time, she says, I tried everything. I did this and I did this. And what she said she was doing was really, really not bad. She was doing Bible study. She was going to this church study. She was going to that, listening to this minister, all kinds of stuff she told me. But it isn't working. I can't get any closer. I don't feel any closer to God. And I said, you know what? I think maybe you've misunderstood your pronouns. It's not about you. It's about God. And when the psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, he's desiring a relationship with God. He's desiring to know God and to allow God to change him. The more we learn of God, the closer we get to walk with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I believe, and, and this is what they found. Um, Rainers, the Rainers found this. They, they found that Christians who hear good biblical sermons, who are involved in a good small group Bible studies, who do their own personal Bible study, are rarely individuals who drop out of church. They found this out. And if they happen to drop out of church because of that relationship to the Word of God, they generally often uh, return. Tom Rainer said, You should give the pastor the time to study and preach God's Word, become involved in the small group Bible studies on Sunday morning or otherwise, and you should study the Bible on your own. I want to tell you something. I think it's true that it doesn't matter what the church building looks like. I don't think it matters who's leading the worship. I don't think it matters what you do in worship. 
If your church is studying deeply the Word of God, it will be essential. And it will not only keep the people that come here, but it will draw others to God. Because that's what happens when you study the Word of God. That's God's strategy. Commit yourself to being part of a Bible study, wherever. And let's have more than just Sunday school and Sunday morning. Do Bible studies everywhere. Get your own personal Bible. Now, I know that means that you, you might have an iPhone or an iPad or something. But it wouldn't hurt to get a Bible that you write in sometimes. It's okay to underline stuff. It might not be bad to put a note there or something. And then you go back and see how God was leading your heart back then and how he blessed it and how maybe you were, you were struggling, but how he encouraged you and after the fact. And you go back and you have a reason to praise him and give him glory because he took care of it when we thought it was the most terrible thing in our lives. Start a personal plan for reading. Whether or not you want to start at Genesis and go through, that's okay. But you can pick out all these different personal plans where you begin to read. Now, I, I don't say you have to do it all in one year. Just take your time, but have a personal plan to read the Bible on your own. Bring your Bible to church for worship. I guess your iPhone and those, it's okay. Bring something that you can study and read along with. Don't take my word for it. You check me out. And you do that by having your, your Bible. Join a, a Bible study group. I've already said that. Surround yourself in your home with the scriptures. Now, I appreciate that we're having our football team in the, in, in the Super Bowl. And that's okay for this Sunday. We're going to probably wear Chiefs stuff and have Chiefs stuff all over our house. And that, that's okay. But it wouldn't hurt to have scripture passages. I know a friend of mine who would take one verse a day or two days if he needed to, and he'd put little verses that are all around the house so that he saw the word of God. You know, it's okay to have scripture verses. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Or this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice in it. How about putting on your TV the, uh, put no worthless thing before your eyes, right? People go to movies and they like to hear what the movies say. They watch the news and they like to hear what the news says. But all those things can't give you what the Word of God says. The Word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. What do you get when you study doctrine? You study the value doctrine can give you. What do you get when you study church history? Well, you get what church history can give you. What do you get when you, when you study church music? Some good stuff, but you only get what church music can give you. What do you get when you study all the different policies and polities of churches? Well, you only get what that can give you. What do you get when you study the Bible? You get and you meet a sovereign God, a risen Savior, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, those other things may inform us, change us, help us, but not in the same way and not to the deeper sense or extent that the Word of God can. Make the Bible the central point of our, a central part, the essential part of our worship and our faith. And I believe God will change us.
radically, powerfully, in a way we never thought possible. But I also believe that God will change our church, and it will become essential. And folks, today, more than ever, we need, we really need churches that are essential. Let's pray for just a minute. Gracious Father, teach us your word and the value of your word. Help us to actually desire the word of God and to cherish it, treasure it up in our hearts that we might share it with others through the power of the Holy Spirit who need to hear of our risen Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand for our invitation, and as the Lord leads you, let's share together in our invitation.